Well, we are continuing in Ephesians this morning. We're going to be picking up at the beginning of chapter 5. Um, it's page 1038 in the Bible that's in front of you, or you can always follow along in our Brentwood Bible app. Um, so we're kind of coming into the last couple of chapters of the book. He's talked about a lot of things, um, but today is something a little interesting, but and before we get there, I was listening to the radio um, this week as I was coming into work. Sometimes I listen to like the morning shows on the radio just to see what people out there are talking about um, these days. And on this particular show, they were going through the, the list of the seven deadly sins, um, which if you're not familiar with those are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And they were kind of defining what each one was, and then they were deciding if that was still a deadly sin or not, if that should still be on the list. And so as they went through, um, they kind of went through all of them, and I caught in the middle, but at the end, what I heard them say was, well, I think we all agree that lust should no longer be on this list. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, but that tells you a lot about our culture and where it is, where you can love anybody and do whatever you want with whoever you want, and that's okay. Um, to do all of those things, and it's wrapped up in all the kinds of different things. And for us, we may think this kind of talk or attitude is completely out of control, and it's never been this bad. Um, what Paul is going to remind us this morning is that it's always been like this, right? The things he is going to talk about are exactly the same things that we would say about our culture today, especially in the arena of sexual immorality. Um, we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but he's going to kind of say, this has been going on, and Paul was 2,000 years ago, right? And so it's in the same situation. So this is just a reminder that what we read in Scripture, even though most, some of it is very, very long ago, we are still struggling with, we are still dealing with the exact same issues that we've been dealing with since the beginning of time. And so even though it may feel like, oh, we don't do this anymore, or this is worse than it's ever been, um, those of you who have been around way longer than me probably know, no, it's kind of always been like this. It's been a little different through the years, but it's always been similar to this. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14 um, this morning. <clears throat> and so let's read that together. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God <clears throat> as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance with the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of life consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret." Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
And so we're going to look through this. We've been talking all along the way how Paul has been calling us to live or to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, which we see at the beginning of chapter 4, and he kind of expounds on that all the way through. Um, And he doesn't just want us to understand what has happened to us when we turn to Christ, but how we live this out. We talk about new life in new community, how all things are made new in Christ. And so in chapter 4, he especially talked about how we can grow to maturity. He's going to continue that here in chapter 5. And we've kind of split this into two parts. You've kind of saw, heard them as we read. One is to walk in love, and one is to walk in light. And so we're going to look at those two parts. So first, we're going to look at how we can walk in love. And so Paul is going to remind us why we walk in love and give us an example of walking in love through God and through Jesus. And then he's going to give us some actually negative, negative examples of what not to do, like don't do these things. And we see this first in verse 1 and 2. This is kind of why we're doing it, right? Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So our first thing that we should do is to imitate the loving God, right? It says, imitate God like children. Now, all of you are children of someone, um, whether you had a good relationship or not a good relationship with your parents, whether you knew them for a long time or a short time, all of us are influenced by our parents. So what that we talk like them, we sound like them, we act like them, we do the same things they did, no matter how hard we try not to we still end up doing those things. And we're like, well, I'm never going to do what they used to do. And then you hear yourself doing or saying that exact same thing. And you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. But we imitate our parents, especially our father. And so if we are truly God's children, we will imitate him, right? This kind of takes aside. Sometimes we act like estranged children of God. We don't spend time with him. He's kind of out there, but we don't really talk to him. We don't visit him. We don't interact with him. He's just kind of, he was our father, but we don't have a great relationship with him. Or we're runaways, right? Yes, he was my father and he was sort of okay, but I want to go off and do my own thing. And if I get in trouble or I get in a really big mess, then I'll go back and I'll see if he can help me out. No, but, but to act as children who are living with him in his house. <clears throat> so how do we experience God enough to imitate him. Well, to imitate somebody, you have to be around them enough time to pick up who they are and the way they talk and the things they say. And so we need to be around God enough through the reading of the word, through prayer, through listening to his word read and taught. Because the more we are around him, the better our imitation of him will be. This is why we try to talk about um, the Christian life is not just two hours a week, right? Or three hours, it's not a couple hours on Sunday and one hour on Wednesday. That's not enough for a Christian to truly know and to imitate God or to act like him or to be shaped by him. We need to spend more time with him during the week on a daily basis so that we can become more like him. So not only do we, does it say to imitate God, but we imitate Christ's love and loving self-sacrifice for us, right? He demonstrated his love for us by sacrificing himself, even though we were sinners, right? He gave himself up for us. We see a lot of self-sacrifice in Jesus and what he came to do for us. 
He brought light into darkness. The world was dark and full of sin and in need of redemption. And Jesus comes in and he brings light and he brings hope and he brings compassion and mercy and grace. And, and one verse says that he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He changes us through his sacrifice. And when he does that, he is an offering, a sacrifice for us so that we can have life as we put our trust in him and believe that he died on the cross for us, for our sins, for the things we have done wrong, so that we can have hope, so that we can have life, so that we can have salvation. And so we imitate those two things of the loving God to spend time with him, to be like him, and the self-sacrifice that we see in Jesus. And then we get a list of what not to do. Like, don't do these things, don't say these things, don't talk about these things. This is what he's talking about. And these, this kind of shifts away from loving others towards um, not, not sacrificing to loving ourselves. And so what I'm kind of talking about this, the way I thought through this is, to walk in love, we need to put away false loves. Right, because we see in verses 3 um, through 6, there's this, this thread of idolatry running through, which he connects to at the, at the end. But I think all of these things, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the greed, all of those are connected to the concept of idolatry, right, of false loves. These are not sacrificing like we saw the love of Jesus, but these are self-absorbed, right? When he throws the term greed in there, Right? It comes with this concept of holding on to things or collecting things or hoarding things, whatever that is, whether that's a material thing, whether that's pleasure, whether that's power, whether that's whatever it may be, you're collecting, you're keeping all of those things. And I think all of the things that he lists, right, the sexual immorality, impurity, greed, they all come out of idolatry, of valuing or worshiping or desiring other things above God, whether that's pleasure or fun, or selfishness, I deserve more, I earned this, I should get to do whatever I want with it, um, whether that's power, whatever it is, all of those things are built on idols, false loves that lead us astray. And then he kind of goes through and he says, this immorality should not even be heard among you, that there shouldn't even be a hint. And we may be tempted to think, that not even heard among you means we don't talk about it. Um, there's a huge song that all families with kids are singing if you've seen Encanto, and it's we don't talk about Bruno, right? And so the whole thing is you just don't talk about him. You don't mention him. You don't say him even though he's there. And if you watch the movie, spoiler, there's an Easter egg where Bruno is dancing in the background while they're singing not to talk about him. It's kind of fun um, if you haven't seen that one yet. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you just don't talk about it. You just don't mention it. You just pretend like it doesn't exist, as in this conversation is off limits, or if we don't talk about it, then that means it doesn't exist. If we don't ever ask about these issues, then we can't know that anybody ever has them, and so they, they're not here. That's not what this means. This also doesn't mean to pretend that everyone is perfect, or that this never happens. Um, he's saying these things shouldn't exist among a loving community of believers who take following Jesus seriously. Um, I've been reading a book over the last couple of weeks. It's from um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who you've heard in other contexts, but he wrote a book called um, Life Together. It's about living in community as Christians. 
um, and I, I was reading it, and he, he says lots of interesting things that just makes me rethink a, a lot of things. But he says when we live in community, one of the things that happens is when sin is exposed, especially a big sin or something that we would say, oh, wow, I can't believe somebody would do that or that they were struggling with that or they went that far. The response of the church is usually to be horrified and to say, how could that happen? We thought they were a believer. And his response was, why are we horrified? Why are we surprised? We're all still sinners. We shouldn't expect or be surprised that sinners act like sinners. Right? But when we, he says, when you, when, what, what I don't want us to think is if we don't talk about this, it doesn't exist. So what he's saying is we need to talk about it. We need to express it so that we can discover sin among our lives. And we walk together and we help each other so that the sinning becomes less and less and less and less as we deal with it, as we work together, as we confess to one another, as we'll get through. And so we shouldn't hide things so that when somebody here appears like a sinner in our congregation that we are surprised or horrified, right? The goal here isn't concealment, but to walk together so these things don't happen because we know, love, and protect one another from sin. And so we, it doesn't mean we don't talk about it. It means we shouldn't need to talk about it because we all have dealt with it and worked through it and are walking together and holding each other accountable. So it isn't necessary because all of our lives have been changed in a way that it's, it's not something that we spend a lot of time on. And then he talks about crude joking and foolish talk. And I, I think what he's saying here is when you make light of sin, when you make jokes about it, it leads you to not take it seriously. And in our culture, the things that he's talking about, making jokes about sex or are everywhere, right? We have double entendres. We have, used to have shampoo commercials that use this, this thing to do. Like, it's everywhere. And it's sort of making fun of it, making light of it, making it a joke. And when you make a joke about something, it doesn't seem as serious. It makes it less, it makes it seem okay to do. Like, it's not a big deal. And so I think that's what Paul is trying to get us to say is, when we joke about these things, when we think that they're funny, we're lessening the seriousness of these actions, of these sins, of these things that pull us away from God. We're losing the power and the weight of it. And what he, I think what he's connecting us to is if you do this, then you are in danger because you have lost sight of the seriousness and the weight of these sins. So he's not saying you can't make a joke. It doesn't, it's not that kind of thing. He's saying don't make jokes about these categories, especially this one here of sexual immorality. It's not funny. Right? Because it lessens the seriousness of the sin. And so take it seriously. And on the flip side of that, he finishes that sentence with, but rather give thanks. And I think this, is, this was a surprising statement to me. Right? It says, don't practice crude joking or foolish talk, but instead give thanks. Now, if it was me, I think I would say, don't practice crude joking or foolish talk, but be serious. Be sober-minded. That's not what he says. He says, give thanks. And so I think what he's saying is, giving thanks helps you to combat joking and foolish talk. So how does that work? How does giving thanks help us battle against those things? Well, I think that joking 
or making fun of something is actually about tearing it down, of lessening something. But thanksgiving is about building up. When we are thankful and we acknowledge our thanks to another brother or sister in Christ, it builds them up. It encourages them. It makes them feel good. And so thanksgiving, I think, also combats idolatry and covetousness. Right? When I take time to be thankful, it reminds me of all the things that God has given me. All the blessings, all the time he's walked with me, all the things he's given me, all the tough times he's helped me through, all the celebrations that I've had because of what he's done. It pulls me away from desiring and trusting in other things because I am reminded that God provides. I am also reminded that I have plenty and I should be content. Not jealous or desiring of what other people have or what somebody else has. I can be content because what of what Christ has given me. And so giving thanks helps me put off greed, puts off idolatry because it's a reminder of what God has done and it builds me up and helps me focus on those things. And then we get to verse 5. It says, for know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And the question I wrote to help me think through this is, does that mean there's a limit to God's love? If I do these things, then all of a sudden I'm out? I'm out of his love? Right? Did I go too far? Have I done too much and so God is not going to love me anymore and he's just going to send me out and my inheritance is gone? My salvation is gone? Well, the short answer to that is no. That's not how it works. Um, I think when he throws the, the phrase idolater in here, he's telling us something significant in this phrase. Idolater is different than sinners, meaning you are characterized by idolatry. You are characterized by sin, not just I gave in to temptation once or twice. And so P- Paul is talking about people who are currently doing these things. And so if you've done them in the past, or if you've done them before you were a believer, or even after you were a believer. But as long, I think as long as you have confessed and repented and battled against this sin, I don't think he is talking about you. He's talking about people who are characterized by these behaviors. Because remember, as believers, Ephesians tells us we have broken away. Right? The old self is put off and the new self is put on. We are different. We are able to battle against the power of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what this doesn't mean is that every sinful thought, word, and action can disqualify us from our inheritance in heaven. Because that means none of us are getting in. Right? If every single thing we do, every single sin, every single lie, everything we make up, all of those things eliminate us from our inheritance, then what would happen is we would all just be running around all day trying to make up for all the things that we messed up on so that we had more good than bad, right? Which is not the gospel. That's not what the Bible tells us. Because, but if we give ourselves over to sin, if we give ourselves over to our fleshly desires, If our life is characterized by these actions, by being greedy for more, by being selfish, 
by doing whatever we want, no matter what that is, then we should be concerned. Right? But if you're following Jesus and you mess up or you make a mistake or you get caught in something and you come out and you repent and you confess and you battle against it with other believers, I don't think this is what he's talking about. So let's not be characterized by those behaviors. And then he gives us verse 6, and I think this is a caution that he kind of throws in, um, especially for believers who are reading this. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. I think he's challenging us not to think that these words are not for us. Oh, I don't struggle with any of these things. I don't do any of those things. I'm not in danger of any of this. So I don't really have to listen to this. It's not, a, it's not a worry for me. I think those are the empty arguments he's talking about. Right? To say, oh, this doesn't apply to me, so I'm good. I can just skip. Right? Those are for other people. Those are for the big sinners, for the people who don't believe. But I think what he's trying to get us to understand in these first section of verses is don't take sin lightly. Don't think it doesn't apply to you. Don't make jokes about it to lessen the seriousness of it. But walk in love of God through Christ. And so we imitate him as we deal with these things in our lives. And then in the second half, he talks about walking in light. And on this side, he's going to give us some positive examples. Right? He just talked about living in selfishness and impurity and chasing false loves. Then he gives us the opposite, what to do. And he talks about this, walking in light is where you show fruit. Right? You show goodness. You show righteousness. You show truth. This is what you get out of this side of things compared to the other side where it's darkness and ignorance and falling away. And he says in verse 8, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And we are used to hearing and reading verses about walking in the light. I'm I'm going through 1 John right now as I'm studying, and it's full of this kind of language. Walk in the light. If your brothers or sisters are in the light, then they do this. This verse actually says something a little bit different because there's a word missing. It doesn't say you are in the light of the Lord. It says you are are the light of the Lord, right? That's a different concept than just being in the light, right? We have been, uh, it's not bigger than just saying walk in it. This means you have been changed. You are now light. We referenced this earlier. We were transferred from darkness to light because we have been changed. And because we have been changed, how we live changes, We live out who we are or who we understand ourselves to be. We aren't just people who are trying to do the right thing, who are trying to walk a right path or a godly path. We are people who are godly. We have a new perspective, a new mind, a new heart that is renewed by God. And so we live that out in Him. And the the question This kind of got me a little sidetracked, but I think this is a helpful question. If you are light, just go with me on this one, what kind of light would you be? 
Not like how big you are or anything. I'm just assuming that we're, we're, we're all the same size light. Just give me that one. But for example, in my bedroom, we have a chair with a lamp next to it. And I try to read a chapter of something every night just so I can learn and grow and understand. And because we have three kids and we have a new puppy and all of these other things, I get maybe once or twice a week, I actually sit down in the chair and turn on the light and read. And so are you a light that only gets used in special occasions when there's time? And the light that is in you only shines once or twice when I really need to show it. And the rest of the time, it's off. Or are you like, for us, this is the bathroom. The bathroom light is supposed to only be on when you're in the bathroom using it. And so do you only turn your light on? Do you only act like a Christian? Do you only show that you are in your faith when you need to do something? I need to show people. I need to take care of some business. I need to say these things, or I need to pray, or I need to do this. Show up at church, or show up at Bible study. And so you're only useful when you need to use it. But for us in our house, our living room light is always on because there's always somebody in there. And so is your light always on? You're always showing, reflecting Christ in your life. No matter what's happening, no matter what's coming, no matter the situation, whether you're at home or at work or in traffic or wherever you are, is your light showing all the time? So that may be something you might want to think about because if we are light, then our light technically should always be on, always be showing to others. But is that what your life looks like? Does your Christian life, the way you live, the way you act, the way you believe, does that come out all the time or does it just come out on special occasions or when I really need to show it? That may be something to think through this week. And then I think he calls us to discover the lighted path. This is where he talks about testing what is pleasing to the Lord. He's calling us to learn and to discern and to test the work of God, to discover what God wants us to do, to discover how God wants us to live. We have an inborn desire to seek God and his will. Right? We aren't passive about it. And just hope that he hits us with a lightning bolt, right? When God strikes me with lightning, then I'll know what to do. I don't think we should walk around saying that. But over time, we're, we're learning, we're studying, we're asking people. We discern, right? What's the best option for this situation? We test. This is what happened last time. So I can do this again. Or it didn't work last time, so I obviously need to do something different this time. And we learn from each other. I think what he's talking about here is, is the skill of godly living. And if it's a skill of godly living, that means it can be developed, it can be improved, it can grow, it can become better. Right? Of truth that is learned, truth that is studied, truth that is applied and practiced. So we get better at it as we go, as we test, as we discern, as we learn with others. And then I think he calls us to expose the dangers, right? And exposing um, the light, exposing those deeds, right? Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, right? And so the, the definition I, I, I found this week is either 
expose means to reprove or to convince through argument and discussion, like saying this is what is true or this is wrong. At the same time, taking great care not to gossip or to slander others. Last week, we talked about speaking truth in love. And so I think this is kind of connected to that, is when we talk about this, when we work together on this, when we expose sin and darkness, especially in each other's lives or in the life of our church, we are called to talk about it and say, this is not what we should be doing. So that's the truth in love part, right? This is not right. This is not the truth. We're not headed where we're supposed to be. We're not doing or teaching or saying the things that we're supposed to do. But on the flip side, we do that without gossip, without judgment, without slander, without saying, I can't believe so-and-so did that, right? We're all still sinners. We're all growing together. So I think that's why God gave us a church community so that we could all do this together because you need God and you need other people to be able to do this. Because Bonhoeffer in that same chapter kind of talks about sin like this. Uh, Sin wants you to feel alone. Sin wants you to be alone, to think that you are the only one who is sinning, to pull out of your community, to isolate. Sin does everything it can to avoid being exposed, to avoid being seen in the light. But in confession, in admitting those sins, in asking for forgiveness for those sins, both to God and often with another believer. The light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and the isolation of the heart, and we can be renewed. As we confess to God and to others, we can expose the danger of sin. We can battle it. The darkness can be flooded with light and overcome. And as we saw before throughout Ephesians, we have the tools to do this, right? Because we just don't have, we don't just have a light. Like we're not walking around with a flashlight trying to figure out how to live the Christian life. We learned earlier, we are light. And so if there is darkness in you, if there is darkness in you, in your heart, in your mind, as we partner with the Holy Spirit, we can illuminate those things. We can shine light on those things. We can expose them so that we can see them. We can repent. We can confess. We can grow. We can learn. We can build one another up. We can illuminate the dark corners of our hearts and minds to the light of Christ. I think this is what he's talking about in 13 and 14, right? Everything exposed by the light is made visible. And what makes everything visible is light. He's like he's talking about the concept of us, this light shining in our lives to examine, to expose, to lead us, to repent and to confess and to follow him. And then he finishes with this, this, this quotation. Therefore, it says, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There was about 50 different answers as to where this came from. It's not a quotation from another verse in Scripture. And so some people were combining four or five verses. Some people were saying it came from one verse. Some people were saying this was a hymn that they used to sing at the time. But I think what he's trying to get us to see here at the end 
is for us to wake up in the light. Remember that you are alive in Christ. We're not asleep anymore. We're not dead. We have been moved from death to life. We have life in Christ. And when you do that, light will shine on you and in you. It made me wonder this week if Paul was in a place where he's watching the sunrise every morning. Because there seems to be a lot of references to light and waking up and sleeping. But then this morning I thought, or maybe he's in a dark place and he can't see the sun and he can't see the light and he remembers and is longing for the warmth and the newness that comes every morning to remind us, right, every morning when the sun comes up that God's mercies are new for us that day that we put on the new self that morning, every day on a daily basis, like a sunrise, a reminder of God in us and changing us so that we wake up, we rise up, we walk in the light. And what he's really calling us to do with all of these things where he talks about walking in something, he's talking about walking in who you are in Christ. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has given you. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son for us. We thank you for your word that sometimes tells us not just what to do, but what not to do, what to be aware of, what to be afraid of, what to to caution against. And that, that the things that, that we are dealing with, the things in our culture, the things in our lives, the things that are swirling around us are the same things that have been doing that for thousands of years. It's not something new. It's not something different. It just feels different to us because we weren't there 2,000 years ago. So God, help us to think about our speech, to think about our jokes, to think about the way we think about um, things that are sins, that our culture thinks are not a big deal. God, that we would still take those seriously, that we would still watch out for them, even if we, even if we begin to think, oh, I don't have to worry about that one because I don't have any issues in this area. You would help us to be cautious, help us to be careful, help us to examine our hearts through the Spirit so that we can follow you, we can expose the sin and the darkness in our lives and give it over to you and confess and repent and live a life of holiness and goodness and righteousness and truth. That we wouldn't become idolaters or people that are chasing after other things of riches or glory or fame or comfort. That you are better than anything else that we chase after. All other things will let us down. All other things will fall flat. But you are better. You are always with us. You love us. You walk with us. So help us to love you and to imitate you and your sacrifice in our lives that our light would always be on. It's in your name I pray. Amen.